As a kid, I remember asking Jesus into my heart so many times. I remember uh, re-praying the prayer, Jesus, in case I'm not in yet, let this be my reminder prayer to you that I want in. See, I didn't want to have done something inadvertently or, or by mistake to lose my salvation. I knew as a kid from a very young age that, that I wanted to be a part of God's kingdom and I didn't want to miss out on heaven. Now, by me re-asking Jesus into my heart again and again and again, um, it's almost like some people have that same feeling today. They, they're never really sure if they're on the inside. It's almost like people aren't sure if... if if they can do something inadvertently or by mistake to, to lose their salvation. Now, some people care so deeply about this question that we're going to be answering today. Can a Christian lose their salvation? I understand how emotionally charged this is for some people. Because some people, you might be, you might have a son or a daughter or you might have a grandchild that, that once they professed Jesus as Lord. Once they made a decision to follow Christ, they, they prayed a prayer, they, they, they lived a life that pleased God, but then over time they, they walked away and, and they're today living far from Jesus. And, and you're thinking to yourself, can, can a Christian lose their salvation? Or, or maybe it's you. Maybe you're having the fear of, of living in the unknown. Did, did God turn his back on me? Did, has God forgotten about me? Have I done something to jeopardize my eternal salvation? Now, we're right in the middle of our Yaffe series, our You Asked For It series, and, and I'm glad that someone asked this question, can a Christian lose their salvation? Because today we're going to put this question to rest. Today we're going to bring hope for your present and security for your future. But before we can actually start to answer the question, can a Christian lose their salvation? We need to all get on the same page. As you know, words have meaning. And, and when one person uses one word, they might mean something completely different than another person who uses that same word in a different context. Let me explain. We have this word, pants here in Canada. And when I say the word pants, I'm referring to the long cloth leggings that cover my shins. Okay? Like my, my pants. My, they're like trousers. But if you're in the UK and you use the word pants, you're not talking about the long cloth leggings that cover your shins. You're talking about underwear. Okay? So just the word pants means something completely different in Canada than in the UK. Um, and it's not just from country to country that words have different meanings and, and, and things. Even within Canada, words can have different meanings. Um, if you grew up in Saskatchewan, people in Saskatchewan, they wear bunny hugs. Yeah, bunny hugs. Now, if you're wondering, what in the world is a bunny hug? Uh, it probably means you're not from Saskatchewan. But uh, a bunny hug is what here in BC we would refer to as like a hooded sweatshirt or a hoodie, right? But, but in Saskatchewan, they call them bunny hugs. So just, just the words, like, they have different meanings in, in just, even in Canada, different things mean, mean different things. And so words actually, it matters to define these words, to all get on the same page and know what we're talking about. So when it comes to Christian, and if it's possible for a Christian to lose their salvation, we all need to define the terms. So let's start just defining the terms. What do we mean when we say Christian? And what are we even talking about when we're talking about salvation? Because 
We can't even begin to answer the question, can a Christian lose their salvation if we don't even have a starting place, right? So, how do we know that someone is really a Christian? Is it because they self-identify? Is it because a pastor once told them they were a Christian? Is it because they've been baptized in water? What does the Bible actually say it means to be a Christian? And secondly, what are we even talking about when we're talking about salvation? What is our salvation based on to begin with? How do we know someone's received salvation? And... Um, and, and, and what are we even, well, what are all the trappings that, that come with salvation? So, we're going to start today by quickly defining what it even means to be a Christian. As your outline says, a Christian is someone who lives like Jesus lived, loves like Jesus loved, believes what Jesus believed, and teaches what Jesus taught. If you're wondering if that's you or not, let me ask you four questions. And these four questions, I want you to use these four questions as a self-assessment um, to whether these things are true of you or not. Number one, have you declared that Jesus is Lord? Have you declared that Jesus is Lord? See, declaring that Jesus is Lord is simply acknowledging God's sovereignty in your life and your willingness to submit your will and, and submit to his design for your life. Now, the way that you do this, it can be very different. It doesn't have to be in a special prayer or even in public. It can happen in private. It can happen in the silence of your own bedroom. Declaring that Jesus is Lord is simply telling God that you believe Jesus is who he claimed to be. That he is God with skin on. And you are now surrendering control over, uh, surrendering control of your life over to him. Romans 10, chapter, chapter 10, verse 9 says this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. To be a follower of Christ, to be a Christian, you must declare that Jesus is Lord. Okay, number two, do you obey the commands of Christ? Do you obey the commands of Christ? If we really are followers of Christ, we're going to do what he says. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. See, it's a funny thing, but we live in a pick-and-choose world today where we just pick and choose the parts of the Bible we want to believe, the parts of the Bible that fit our lifestyle and, and, and that's convenient for us. Someone once asked a theologian, what do you do when you come to a verse in the Bible that, that you don't agree with? The theologian put it this way, simple, I change my opinion because I'm wrong. See, the Bible really is the faultless Word of God. It transcends our opinions and our preferences. It is holy and perfect. We are to shape our lives around it, not the other way around. If we really are a follower of Christ, we are going to do what Jesus commands. Okay, question number three. Are you unhappy while sinning? 
Are you unhappy while sinning? 1 John chapter 3 says, Everyone who's been born into God's family avoids sin as a lifestyle because the genes of God's children come from God himself. Therefore, a child of God can't live a life of persistent sin. Now, this doesn't mean that followers of Christ won't ever sin. And this doesn't mean that followers of Christ need to be perfect. But knowing how much sin grieves the heart of God should have an effect on his children. It should make sin an unhappy thing to do. But as we just read, followers of Jesus should be avoiding sin as a lifestyle and not living in persistent sin. What it's talking about here is, is we shouldn't be making a habit out of our sin. Are you, are you living in habitual sin? Are you okay with it? Does it bother you? Do you think it's no big deal? The truth is, if, if we really are followers of Christ, we should be unhappy when we sin. Okay, and question number four. Do you love others enough to tell them about Jesus? Do you love others enough to tell them about Jesus? Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 35, By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. See, time and time again, Jesus is calling us to love others as he first loved us. All throughout the Bible, God is constantly reminding his people that they are to be a blessing to people that are far from God. See, Jesus tells this timeless story revealing the true nature of God in the story of the prodigal son. It's a story all about the relentless nature of God's love for the lost. If you really are a follower of Christ, then we're going to love others. And not just only love others, but love others enough to tell them about Jesus. One of my favorite quotes from Charles Spurgeon is bold and in your face. And it gets this point across as subtly as a ton of bricks. He says this, Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. Okay, so let's look at these four questions. As we're talking about what does it really mean to be a Christian? What does it, being a Christian even mean? What do these four questions say about you? Have you declared that Jesus is Lord? Do you obey the commands of Christ? Are you unhappy while sinning? And do you love others enough to tell them about Jesus? See, these questions, they can be a helpful guide at assessing whether we truly are followers of Christ or not. So, why are we even talking about what it really means to be a Christian again? Let's, let's remind ourselves what we're doing here today. Today we're answering the question, can a Christian lose their salvation? But we have to have a starting point. We need to find out what it even means to be a Christian in the first place. Okay, so, so now that we've covered and we've talked about what it means to be a Christian, let's dive into this whole idea of salvation. Salvation. What, what is it? Why do you need it? How do you get it? How do you know that you have it? And if, in fact, you do have it, can you lose it? Okay. Here's salvation in a nutshell. Are you ready? As your outline says, Salvation is the theological term for what takes place in someone's life when they repent of their sins and declare Jesus is Lord. God saves them from the penalty of their sins and the Holy Spirit comes to live in them. That's salvation. 
See, the Bible teaches that the ultimate price for sinning is death. But as we've just learned, if you declare that Jesus is Lord, Jesus will pay your unpayable debt on your behalf. See, through Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, he saves you from your sins and ultimate death, and the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. This is salvation. So, how do I gain salvation? How do I gain this? As your outline says, your salvation isn't dependent on your good works. Your salvation isn't dependent on your good works. Now, this is actually a radical idea. In all other world religions, all other world religions, you actually do good works to gain your salvation. But in Christianity, it is so, so different. In Christianity, your salvation is a gift. It is a gift freely given by the grace of Jesus. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. The grace of God is unmerited favor. The only thing that is required of you, the only thing that is required of you is to receive it. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8. It says, God saved us by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done so that none of us can boast about it. Your salvation isn't dependent on your good works. So often as Christians, we feel like this just can't be true, that, that nothing in this world is for free. There, there has to be a catch of some kind. We feel that we must do something to justify this grace that God has so freely given us, right? But the truth is, according to the Bible, Christianity isn't about D-O, it's about D-O-N-E, right? It's not a matter of what you do, it's a matter of what's been done on your behalf, what's been done already for you. The matter is settled, it's been taken care of. See, your salvation isn't dependent on your good works. Now, okay, some people, you might be thinking, okay, Simon, I get all that. That makes sense to me. I originally gained my salvation, not because of my good works, but because of grace and grace alone. But what about maintaining my salvation? Like, that's got to be on me, right? It seems so often we, we think that maintaining our salvation is dependent on our good works somehow. Deep down, we try to justify our salvation by doing good things. But it's madness. It's madness. It's, it's like saying, Jesus, I know you died on the cross for me and all, but hey, I did good things too, you know, right? It's, it's like we invent this weird works-based, I deserve to be here type of religion. And what we're saying is that we need the cross plus something else in order to be saved. We need the cross plus tithing. We need the cross plus perfect church attendance. We need the cross plus charity work. We need the cross plus good works. See, we think that we gain and maintain our salvation by good works, but it's madness. If you are thinking that you gain or maintain your salvation through good works, what you're really saying is the cross by itself isn't good enough for me. I need the cross plus but we don't need the cross plus. We just need the cross, period. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 in the message says this. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No. We neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. So, our salvation isn't dependent on our good works. But also, as your outline says, your salvation cannot be forfeited because of bad works. See, just as you can't earn your salvation by doing really good things, you can't lose your salvation by doing really bad things. You cannot outsin your salvation. Your salvation doesn't have a sin limit. See, when it comes to your salvation, God does the saving and the maintaining. When it comes to your salvation, stop thinking that you play a major role in it. You don't. Your salvation cannot be forfeited because of bad works. It has nothing to do with how, how bad you are or, or how much you sin. Nothing. Okay, wait a second, Simon. Are, are you saying that my eternal salvation has nothing to do with my current performance? Like, really? Yeah. Oh, hold on, Simon. Are you saying I can receive God's grace and then live any way I want? Listen, if this idea makes you uncomfortable, good, you're starting to understand grace. See, God's grace is not earned. It is not deserved. God's grace is unmerited favor. You cannot earn it. You do not deserve it. Your good works and your bad works, they amount for nothing when it comes to your salvation. Nothing. When it comes to salvation, you are saved by grace and grace alone. Your salvation isn't dependent on good works and your salvation cannot be forfeited because of bad works. Romans chapter 8 verse 35 says this, Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, let's quickly review. We started off today by trying to wrap our heads around two important terms, what it means to be a Christian and, and what salvation is. We asked ourselves four important questions uh, about what it looks like living a life as a Christian, and then we've established that salvation has nothing to do with either good or bad works, that salvation is based on God's goodness not ours. Now, this is all bringing us closer and closer to today's question we're trying to answer, okay? Can a Christian lose their salvation? But hang tight, we're not quite there just yet. So if our salvation ha has nothing to do with good works, then, then why does it matter how we act at all? Like, why even bother doing good works? 
As your outline says, good works don't save you, but good works do say a lot about you. Good works don't save you, but good works do say a lot about you. See, good works don't save us, but, but good works flow from a saved life. Now, you might be wondering what these two jars are all about. Why did I start off by putting cloth in these two jars? See, these jars, they represent good works. Good works from being a follower of Christ. And each piece of cloth that I put into these jars, they, they, they represent us. Okay, so the, the jars are good works and the cloth is us. Before we dive into these cloths and jars, let me ask you a question. Is God good because he does good works? Or does God do good works because he's good? Let me ask you again. Is God good because he does good works? Or does God do good works because he's good? The answer is God does good works because he's good. See, goodness is his very nature. Good works, they, they flow out of who he is. And it's the same with us. Once we are saved, we are filled with his spirit. We are now transformed from the inside out. We can't help but pro to produce good works. D did you know the only thing that separates you from your unsaved neighbor is that as a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. It's the only thing that separates you from your unsaved neighbor. So the very first time that you declared that Jesus is Lord and you surrendered your life and you surrendered control to God, right then and there, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. Right then and there, your spirit and God's spirit began to interact. See, God's Spirit residing in us is an incredible thing. He comforts us and He guides us. He empowers us. He corrects us. And most importantly, He transforms us. See, it's impossible for the Holy Spirit not to transform you. If He's in you, He's at work. He's at work molding you, shaping you, and changing you to be more like Christ. And out of this transformed life with the Holy Spirit, good works are produced. See, good works are a byproduct of salvation. They aren't the reason for salvation. Let me say that again. Good works are a byproduct of salvation. They aren't the reason for salvation. See, we do good works because we're saved, not to become saved. Salvation it actually changes us. The Holy Spirit inside of us actually transforms us. The old is gone and the new has come. Now you'll notice that this piece of black cloth that I put in this jar here, well, nothing happened, right? It's, it's still a piece of black cloth. But you'll notice that this black cloth that I put in this jar here, well, look at it. It's, it's completely transformed. It's, it's white. It's almost like one of these cloths have been bleached. Well, yeah, I'm sure you figured it out. This is just water. But this, this is bleach. You see, bleach has, has a, 
an engaging agent inside of it, a transformative agent in the bleach that actually transforms the nature of the cloth, right? It's the same with the Holy Spirit. If we have the Holy Spirit living in us, that's the transformative nature in us. If we just have good works in our life and we don't have the Holy Spirit, then we're just wet. There's no actual change that takes place. But if we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, the transformative work, it, it changes us from the inside out. The Holy Spirit is it changing us to be more like Christ. The Bible actually says when we have the Holy Spirit in us, our life produces fruit. It's the Holy Spirit producing the fruit through us. And this is what the fruit of the Spirit actually looks like. This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, these are the fruits that flow out of a transformed heart. These are the good works that show that you have the Holy Spirit alive in you. That's why James says in James chapter 2, well, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. See, the action that those good deeds are, they, they flow, this fruit flows from the Holy Spirit produced in you. See, good works don't save you, but good works do say a lot about you. See, if you have faith, but you don't have good works backing up out of your life, then your life is just water. If you have faith, but you don't have the good works, your life is just water. It's not bleach. There's no transformative nature in your life. The Holy Spirit is not transforming you from the inside out. So, this leads us to the question of the day. Can a Christian lose their salvation? Essentially, what people are asking is this. Can a Christian lose their relationship with the Holy Spirit? What happens if, if you receive God's grace genuinely? You, you've accepted His Holy Spirit. You live your life as a Christian. Fruit has then been evident in your life as a result. You have this authentic transformation of becoming a follower of Christ, but then you choose to walk away. Walking away from God is an incredibly hard thing to do. It's a deliberate thing to do. If you've tasted and you've seen the goodness of God and your life has experienced transformation from death to life in a way that only the Holy Spirit can bring about in your life and then you choose to walk away and then you choose to turn your back on it all, you choose to reject Him, God will respect your decision. See, God is not in the business of holding people captive against their will. He's given humanity free choice for a reason. He doesn't want us to be robots and, and have no ability to choose for ourselves. So if we choose to walk away, He will let us go. But this is an incredibly hard thing to do. 
See, God will not cancel you, but you can cancel him. God will not divorce you, but you can divorce him. God will not cut you from his team, but you can quit. God will not disown you, but you can disown him. You can choose to lose your salvation. You can choose to walk away and reject God, and God will honor your choice. This isn't something uh, that bad works has done to you. This isn't something that you fall into temporarily. This isn't something that has happened by accident. You don't just lose your salvation overnight. It's an intentional plotting away from the path of Jesus. It's a conscious decision to live your life outside the will of God and his design for your life. You can choose to lose your salvation. See, losing your salvation isn't about committing a sin. It's about making a decision. It's a decision found at the end of a long chain of decisions. Often, when we, when we think of the term, lose your salvation, we, we think of it as like, oh, I've just misplaced my keys or something. We think of it as an accident that's happened to us. No, you cannot lose your salvation by accident. It's not something that can be misplaced. But yes, if, if you choose to lose your salvation, if you decide that you do not want the good gift of the Holy Spirit and eternal life with Christ, then even though it breaks God's heart, he will let you go, but he will never abandon you completely. In God's sovereignty, by his spirit, he is always drawing you back to him. He will never stop pursuing you as long as you live until the day that you die. If you have breath in your lungs, he will be relentless in calling you back into himself drawing you back, doing everything to draw you back into his very presence until he has you back by his side. That's God's grace. It's incredible. It saves us, it maintains us, and it will always call us back to himself. So, to wrap it all up, I want to end with today's big idea. The one thought I want you to take away with you as you go. Salvation isn't something to possess Salvation, it's someone to pursue. Salvation isn't something to possess, it's someone to pursue. See, a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit is the very mark of a Christian. It's the only thing that separates you from your unsaved neighbor. Salvation isn't something to possess, it's someone to pursue. Your salvation isn't dependent on your good works, and it cannot be forfeited by your bad works. See, your good works, they're a byproduct of your salvation. They, they aren't the reason for it. The good works that your life produces, they flow directly from the Holy Spirit living inside of you. They've transformed you from the inside out. Salvation isn't something to possess. It's, it's someone to pursue. So walking away from this relationship with the Holy Spirit is... It's not something that you need to be worried about or living in fear or anxiety about. Losing your salvation is rejecting the Holy Spirit. And this is not done passively, but deliberately. If someone is persistent enough and they walk far enough away, God will eventually give them what they want and let them go. That's why salvation isn't something to possess. It's someone to pursue. Right now, 
where you're sitting, where you're watching this, I want to invite you into a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit. I want to invite you into salvation. Right now, where you sit, you can declare that Jesus is Lord. You can be confident of your salvation. You don't have to fear the future. You can live in full confidence that God knows you, He saved you, He's brought forgiveness into your life, and the Holy Spirit has come to reside inside of you and is transforming you from the inside out. Now, if you've never done this before, it would be my great honor and great pleasure to lead you in a prayer right now where we can do just that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, right now as we, as we close today's message, I want to pray for all the people that are watching this that feel they're far from you. They feel that they've turned their back on you. Or God, maybe they feel like they've never actually ever declared Jesus that you are Lord of their life. Lord, right now, together, we, we declare you are Lord. Holy Spirit, come live inside of us. Transform us from the inside out. Bring your comfort. Bring your grace. Bring your conviction. Mold us, shape us to be more like Jesus. Start to work on the areas of our life that, that go outside of your design for us, God. Bring us closer to your heart. From this day forward, we will be followers of Jesus Christ. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me, it, honestly, it's the best decision you could ever make. Right now, there's a, a number on the screen, and you can text a pastor. I would encourage you right now, just take a moment. Get out your phone and text this number. Text a pastor, and we want to simply encourage you. We want to give you your next best step in a real relationship with the God of the universe. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Be sure to tune in next week as we continue on our You Asked For It series.